Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. Today, we have with us Tom Armitage, who for more than a decade has been teaching GOS at the University of Edinburgh, where he's an honorary fellow at the School of Geosciences. And that's exactly what our topic is going to be today. We're going to look at kind of the the teaching of geospatial, how it works, if it's working well, what can be improved. And I think no one's better to explain that to us than Tom. Welcome to the show, Tom. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you very much for having me. So It's our pleasure. Introduce yourself a bit, please, Tom. Thank you. Yes. So, yeah, I'm a long-term, lifelong lover of maps. I got into these things as a child reading books like Winnie the Pooh and The Hobbit and these sorts of things. And so it was only natural that I went off and studied geography and geology at university and discovered amazing, amazing new new maps, particularly Mary Marie Tharp's maps of the ocean floor that were in National Geographic. So I was just really excited about this and came to the end of my geography and, and, and geology degree and realized that there wasn't really much in terms of avenues you can take from there where you get to keep doing making maps and that sort of thing. I didn't really want to go off into the oil industry down the geology route. I didn't feel I was quite ready for the environmental science side of things. So that really left me with the choice of of doing GIS as a a master's degree. So I went off and I I studied at Edinburgh and did the the MSc in GIS there in 2001-2002 just to pursue this, uh, this love of maps. So after finishing the master's, I'd done a little bit of technical, but found that I was really enjoying more the other side of, of, of map making, cartography, the, the, the talking to people, that side. Got into research at the university straight after that, and that got me into writing and spent a lot of time uh, writing for the Gazetteer for Scotland, also producing some of their historical material in there, using Perl programming to geoparse and parse text into, and into database entries. So after that, Basically, a few jobs around industry, but wound up at Adena, where they provided, or still do provide, maps and geospatial data and online mapping services to the academic community across the UK. And this was really a fantastic role to be in, getting to dip into the lives and help students and academics use GIS, use data, use Use online mapping services. I mean, they've been running these mapping services since, since well, well before Google Maps, really, with the initial pilot being in, in, in the sort of late nineties. And it just, a, just a, a great place to, to go through all the innovation, go through all the stages, talking to programmers, translating what programmers do into the language that the, the students and everything were understanding. But it was really great while I was there, getting out and about to all the universities in the UK and actually teaching them the basics of GIS. Equally, I was doing this at home in Edinburgh University, and the focus was really around teaching the basics of GIS outside of those geography departments and the geosciences departments, so that you're teaching these skills to ecologists, biologists, even English literature lecturers and students. And just seeing the really interesting things that they were doing with maths was was just Fantastic. What does the typical kind of GIS kind of training at the university level look like? I mean, particularly, give us a summary, particularly for people like myself who have no, you know, I, I'm just not familiar with it. I don't have a background in it. And what kind of topics are covered? What is the curriculum? What tools are used? Give, give us the high level overview. 
So yeah, it's very, very interesting to see see what what happens there. So after all of that, when the pandemic hit, I was brought in back to my original master's degree to help with the teaching of the actual GIS masters. And the sort of curriculum does vary quite a lot between the universities, but generally the focus, the best courses, there is a core focus on how to deal with spatial data in terms of analysis, but actually some of the data manipulation. So you'll find that SQL is a is a real core skill used on, on GIS master's courses. Getting the data, moving it around between databases, doing data processing, data cleansing. So a lot of that gets taught. And then on top of that, you have the, the real theory of spatial analysis, what you can and can't do with data spatially. Projections are also really important, but, but more so looking at that spatial data and understanding things like spatial autocorrelation, modifiable area unit problems, these sorts of things that, that, that are special to, to spatial data that don't really exist in other data sets. So core curriculums sort of focus around that and then they'll bring in other things depending on the specialisms of the, of the staff in the, in the departments. So here in Edinburgh, there's, there's expertise in health and GIS. So there's a, there's a course on that spatial visualization as well, visual analytics. And they bring in a whole range of different tools to, to support that and to teach that. Who, who are the typical students? What, what's the motivation for someone getting, getting this degree typically? It's a really interesting question because there are different motivations in different groups of students. So you get some that are come straight from their degrees, similar to, to, to what I did. They want to take their knowledge further in, in, in geography, take it down an avenue that is a potentially will take them into industry, into a job that is about geography. But then on the flip side of that, there are these students who are coming from a completely different angle in that they've got a specialism, they've got a, a niche that they're looking at, like ecology or archaeology or something like this that, that that requires this extra knowledge of how to manipulate spatial data and and to create maps essentially of of the results of their data. So so you've got these, and some of those students are are often the more mature students that have come. They've they've spent some time in in doing doing their thing in in one of these topics. And then they, they realize that they need to get a bit of formal training or sometimes it's, it's not that they require the training or the, or the, to the learning aspects. They maybe just need a piece of paper that, that gets yeah. them signed off and gets them a, a much bigger paycheck at the end of the day. So yeah, they'll come in there and they'll, they'll formalize their, their knowledge into that, that qualification. So different motivations driving the people that come in and, and they again they they do need slightly different they take slightly different paths through master's degrees different option courses suit these different things so again the best courses cater for this i, I would imagine there's a lot of competition let's say for the attention of the students given you know given the the appeal of tech in general but then also with the skills you described you know gathering data cleansing data making turning the data into information you know the last couple of years we've had the rise of the whole data science as an industry and you know with frankly sometimes absurd salaries right so can geospatial compete with that type of you know let's say more glamorous type fields is geospatial competing for the for these people or no or the, it's a different kind of group or how how do you see that well actually i th- i think really I, I have some experience of of venturing out into the world of data analytics and and data science data visualization and what i found when i got there is actually you know, I went from using QGIS, ArcGIS one day to Tableau the next. And they're basically 
very, very similar pieces of software. They are platforms built on top of data sets, databases, or, or even the dreaded Excel files, pulling that information into an interface, which you then use to represent, present, manipulate the data. So the, there's a huge overlap in, in the skills. And you know what I talked about is understanding, having sound knowledge of the theory of things like spatial analysis, but equally other sorts of data analysis and having good sound knowledge of SQL. These are the same skills that they're teaching in data science. Right. Slightly repackaged in different ways with different concentrations. So, so actually, I, I think you know GIS could be an interesting route into data science as opposed to being a completely different path to take. And, and you know, it's something I've been trying to encourage at Edinburgh is this cross fertilization of ideas. I've spent some time teaching GIS skills, the basics to to on the data science courses, and we've been getting things like scholarships in return from data, the data science for students to study GIS because it's so closely related. So I don't see it as a competition. And I think actually, you know, if you are from a, a geography background or interested in maps, this could be a very good conduit into a, into a data science career. Okay. Well, yeah, well, that would be my next question. What kind of careers do, do these students typically then go on to? What comes out for graduation for most people? I, uh, yeah, well, I think that comes circles back round to what was their motivation for doing the, the, the course in the first place. And for those um, that are coming in, I think there has been a change from when I did my master's back in 2001, 2002. A lot of people went off to do GIS from a GIS master's. Uh, whereas now with the rise of things like ArcGIS Online, MapIdea, all of these interfaces that make doing GIS very, very simple. Right. Now, I think the focus on where graduates are heading is more in the in the creation of these products, so writing GIS software or coming up with GIS workflows in companies that then are followed by the people who do the GIS, essentially, who, who push the buttons. This raises a good point. So because over the years, Geomob, many of the best or let's say let's say most interesting talks and projects that we've that have been presented have often been from people with kind of no formal training in geospatial and it's exactly that they just you know the tools are so powerful now and and so accessible in terms of you know it's so much so much easier to get data it, you can so many tools are free or nearly free and people can make really amazing things so this kind of raises the question then what you know why do i need to you know go get a degree in geospatial why don't i just dive in why don't i just start you know making my mashup or whatever what do you yeah do you no no it's really good and really important questions to keep keep asking and for the universities to keep answering so obviously people do need to produce these products we need to and and actually having an understanding of those little idiosyncrasies like projections uh, spatial autocorrelation modifiable area unit problems that's where you know these tools need to need to make the users aware of these or need to highlight that so that the uh, the research the analytics the whatever that comes out of the other end isn't isn't uh, isn't a load of rubbish because of uh, the fact that the inputs were made in the wrong in the wrong way and then there is also you know that is relevant again for those those students who've come through the system with their extra knowledge of ecology archaeology something along these lines you know urban planning and they want to apply that to, okay. to to making maps and, and again you know although it probably 
shouldn't count for so much, but it, it is always good to have these qualifications to to meet these targets for accreditation, uh, etc. That, that they have got some sort of piece of paper or formal qualification that says they're good to do this this job. Yeah, I guess this raises a question in general because I, you know, a couple of years ago I had a very interesting experience where I was trying to hire a a country manager. We I had my my company in London. And we we needed to hire a country manager for India. We had launched an Indian version of our service and it, it started doing really well. I mean, like exploding. So we're like, we need, you know, we need someone locally to help us. And so, you know, we we ran an ad for, for this position and was just inundated. I mean, literally in a day, I got about 800 applications. And so I start going through these applications and every person, of course, has a CV and it has all their accreditations on it, but it's just, I couldn't make any sense of it because I didn't have any context. You know, they'd be like, mm. you know, I was at such and such course and I got a 7.3. And I'm like, I, I, I literally have not the slightest idea whether that's good or bad or, you know. So the first thing I would do is throw everyone's CDV away, right? And just give them my my own test. And so, and, and it, so that was like five or six years ago, I mean, maybe seven years ago now, but this really got me thinking because I'm like, well, you know, I'm sure a lot of these people invested a lot of time and effort in getting these accreditations and I didn't value it at all. And and this thing got me thinking, you know, and I see the world becoming more and more like this, particularly with the rise of, you know, remote employment and things like that, where it's just like it's more about who can do the job that needs to be done right now. Right. And and the pool of applicants is huge. And, the you know, so so I do wonder, is there a risk that do universities and kind of these accrediting bodies become more and more like just the I mean, how do they stay relevant, I guess, is my question, you know, versus I mean, obviously pushing this question to the extreme. Right. And and, and I, I myself, of course, also went to university and, and got an accreditation. So but. It was really an eye-opening experience. So, I yeah. Don't know, what, what do you think? Yeah, no, no. It's it's very interesting, and I guess, and that's where you know, often universities or any kind of accrediting body quite often, you know, ha- trades on its reputation. Those reputations are hard earned, but sometimes they 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 can remain longer than perhaps they should. Yeah. You know that, that these things aren't what once they were. So, yeah, it, I mean, it must be. It must be pretty um, pretty hellish as a as a someone who's hiring to to be faced with that that number of of CVs <laughs> and applications, what? and you've got to have some sort of strategy of finding your way through that. And often it's just uh, you know going picking names that you've heard of, picking names that you that you know about. But I think you know there, there we we do do a lot. Certainly at Edinburgh, there is quite strong links with AGI Scotland, the Association for Geographic Information. Other industry bodies, we take a lot of time to bring in people from industry to talk to the students. So the students get a really good idea of of what they're expected to do once they leave. We run careers days where we bring these people together. So for us, uh, from our perspective, making sure that our students get out there and find the jobs is is key. It's really important to the course. And we we take a lot of time to make sure that that can happen. I guess seeing it from your side of the fence, um, how do I tell the difference between all of these different people? Well, I guess, you know, we'd hope that perhaps on hearing this, you might sort of maybe take the time to get acquainted with with people, graduates from new universities that you have access to, local ones, Barcelona, etc., wherever you're based or wherever you, you studied, any links that you can, and, and maybe work on those as a way of, 
of figuring out if they're providing the sorts of students that you need and and using that as a as a filtering mechanism but very hard if like in your situation here where you're trying to uh, recruit in a foreign country as you're saying remote workers that that's it's it's increasingly becoming difficult to uh, to see the wood for the trees yeah how how did you tackle the issue with i mean this is an issue in not just in academia, but also in industry, just the relentless pace of technical change, right? So, so even if someone, you know, five years ago, they were completely on top of the cutting edge, but the cutting edge changes. And, and it's not just, you know, it's not just, okay, we used to use software version one, and now we're going to use version two. But I mean, it's like things like, you know, mobile and, and cloud, where it's kind of completely different paradigm, right? I mean, in terms of how, how the data is being accessed, how it needs to be presented, how how it's being collected, all these kind of things. So, you know, how did how did you guys try to stay on top of that, or did you just not and just try to instead just try to teach basically core concepts, kind of independent of the technology? Well, I think I think that's the key, and and actually making sure that that you are covering those core concepts, that that by doing that, that they are able to take on as many of these new technologies as 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 possible. So by not teaching Postgres, we, we we teach SQL. We don't particularly teach Postgres. We don't particularly teach Oracle. It's making yeah, sure that they know SQL. And that and that's that's kind of how how we approach that, certainly from Edinburgh's perspective. It's yeah, I mean there are regular complaints everywhere that oh you know they need to be using tech x or graduates need to know you know program language y but you can see the the broader shifts in the background so edinburgh now teach python as the as the programming language because it is really at the core of not just arcgis and qgis but but in data science in in general so it's a great thing to have across the piece so so yes and if that were to change again then uh, yes there would be a change in what's being taught but you know there were i can remember (laughs) years ago there was this demand oh all the two all the students should be knowing Ruby on Rails and all this kind of stuff, and and then that sort of just kind of disappeared very quickly. So it's it's not reacting too quickly because what you're teaching right. could, and you can't rewrite your teaching material every year. It's it's that would be impossible to keep up with. But there are these sort of broad concepts and and things at the background that you can keep track of. I mean, this this time when I when I came back to the university, I was surprised to see lectures I recognized from 20 years previous, but equally delighted when you can see that they were now shifting and teaching cloud concepts, how to do everything online on web instead of in, in apps and applets as it was 20 years ago. So, you know, even now, they're they're pulling in. They're using Map Tiler to, to to generate MB tiles and and put things stitch it all together using Python. Pulling in data out of databases and pushing it all into web maps. And so teaching things like that is is it's not new, but it's still entirely relevant for what they're going to be uh, going to be faced with when they when they they leave university and head out into that world of work. Gotcha, gotcha. And another concept that comes up all the time, of course, in uh, Geomob is, you know, people now, we all have access to these amazing tools, right, that, that make doing things so easy. And oftentimes, it feels like people are building things kind of because they can, rather than taking the time to think through kind of what are the privacy implications of this and the the cultural implications. And I, I guess this isn't just a problem for geospatial. I mean, you know, when a, a common theme in society is that the internet and technology has kind of gotten ahead of, of what people are comfortable with. 
But I think it's particularly relevant for geospatial because obviously, you know, the issue of privacy can really be exploited in, from a geospatial perspective. So is this a topic at all that, that you guys discuss or, or how, 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 how are you grappling with this? So, yeah, no, I mean, it's something, you know, as a, as a as sort of people that organize courses, seminars, privacy crops up all the time, you know, students' information and, you know, delegate information, all of these things. So obviously it's there at the forefront of our minds and it crops up. You know, this, this issue is frequently arises when it comes to dissertation time. The students are planning their research. They want to go out. They want to run questionnaires. They want to talk to people. They want to gather information from, from mobile phones. There's this real hunger, desire to, to, to have all the data. And, and then, then, then decide what to do with it or, or then, and then use it. And, but we, we do actually make them go through a lot of, uh, paperwork, uh, when they're okay. running their research and all of these, all of these issues crop up at that point. But we do also cover that in the courses before they even get to the dissertations. It's a, it's obviously a big part of the health and GIS course, patient data and data that comes from GPs, surgeries, that sort of thing. So it's raised a lot there. And we also, in the run-up dissertations, uh, we run the, the research planning course. And, and that's, that's a really great course because we'll cover things like this. We pack an awful lot into this, this course. It's a core course. So they all have to, have to take it. And it covers a lot of things about ethics, gender bias, privacy, all of these topics sort of surface in here and dealt with in different ways. We bring in externals from industry, lecturers from different courses. And yeah, we try and sort of arm them with as much information and, and ways of, of dealing with these, um, these issues as possible so that when they come to do their research or, or go on to the jobs afterwards, that these issues are, are in their minds so that they're, they, they can, they can approach them in a, an appropriate way. Well, that, that's excellent. Cause I do think that's something that's sometimes missing from the people who come out from the, you know, purely tech side of things where that just kind of dive in and, and the, yeah i mean it is easy with the phone to capture so much information and it is needed to take sometimes to step back and just say like does this even make sense and why are we doing this and, i mean yeah enthusiasm does get the better of them sometimes and and so but it, it is again it's something we're on the, the lookout for when we're when we're appraising their work when we're sort of having our one-to-ones and and supervising their dissertations but yeah it, it is just such a temptation when when it's so easy to gather so much information it's 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 hard to hold yourself back sometimes with what can be done with it so we kind of start to wrap up here Let, let's zoom out and uh, i guess so if you could start fresh if, if you had a clean slate and you were thinking of how to design the perfect kind of geospatial education system. What would you change about the current system, or what would that include? Kind of. That's a it's a it's a big question. That one. Being part of the system, it's quite often difficult to see that there is anything wrong at all. But equally, having stepped outside of the system and looked in, yeah, there are things that that I see I see that perhaps could be done better. And I think one of the ones that stood out for me was was this the fact that the sort of geo is is has that split in there between more earth observation and more sort of traditional gis hmm. and i think i think that these two things could be could be linked better and so sometimes you know they're taught as two entirely separate courses and yes cross pollination between the two but i think you know i think more and more the traditional gis are going to have to do a lot more to embrace the the earth observation side of things that's where 
this seeing this big explosion in in the space industry and all of this data that it's producing. But I think also that the the Earth observation people still have quite a bit to learn from traditional GIS. That they shouldn't forget that that actually that's a big con- market. The data that they're producing, the information will will be passing through GIS in in a lot of instances, and maybe not getting too excited about bypassing it and piping it straight through into into other technologies because they still will be suffering from some of those things that make spatial special and the, and those experts in GIS will 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 be able to handle those that maybe that if it's being pumped straight into sort of data science data analytics they they might miss miss these these things that's an interesting observation if you allow the pun but i do in my opinion that kind of hits the nail on the head in that i feel like i i'm not that involved with earth observation but i do you know listen to some of the podcasts and and interact with some of the people but it feels like they you know have spent the last couple decades just figuring out you know how to get the data how do how do we make building these mini satellites and launching them and then but now all of a sudden the data is pouring in and it's exactly as you say that so so now it's like that you know they're the dog that caught the car and now they don't know like <laughs> now what do i do how am i you know like so yeah i guess i would i would echo that point yeah that mm. you make so and also to a lesser extent i i i love to see gis interoperating with other other disciplines and you know so Informatics, computer science department, and and data science obviously is their as their new sort of offshoot, and and forging more links there is is always a good thing, and and you know that's what 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 I've been really pushing at Edinburgh, and it's sort of you know there's always some super keen informatics professors who love maps that it's very easy to sort of cross pollinate ideas, but then you know I got the the biggest kick, the most excitement out of going and and teaching how to make maps to English literature students so that they could map the locations in books, cool. follow narratives that, that, that develop spatially as well as, you know, over, over the course of the book. That was the fantastic stuff. And, uh, you know, and that just leads to really exciting data visualizations that you can do with those, those new, new ways of thinking. So bringing again, cross, cross fertilization between those ideas and slightly in a way taking GIS out of the hands, completely the hands of the geosciences. But obviously, recognizing that that's where the expertise in in those solid core foundations of spatial analysis, the, the people that really understand that what you can and can't do with spatial data, still have you know some influence to make sure that it's it's handed over, but in a, in a responsible way to all these other different disciplines who can do such exciting and interesting things. Okay, very nice, very nice. So wait, let's flip the question around now and say, so what's what's your advice to anyone out there listening who is about to embark on their study of, of geospatial, any, you know, I don't know what, how old they would be, 20 years old or 21 years old or whatever, about to start. What, what would be the main advice you'd give to someone there? So I think the first key thing is, is to do your research about which institution you want to go to to study because they've all got their different specialisms, they've all got their strengths and so if you can you find out as much about all the different courses that are available to you and and try and try and pick the one that that will play to what you want to what the direction you want to take your your career in and so so that can make a big a big difference you know where you study as to what you end up doing right <laughs> so and and the other thing is is do something which I didn't do which was I, I guess 
it's not so much of an option these days as programming is is probably at least the basics of it is core in in most of the the GIS master's degrees. But if it isn't, push yourself and make sure you learn it, even if it's just the basics. Learn to code, Python especially. And even if you never, ever code again (laughs) after you've left the course, it's so key to have an understanding of the process because you're going to hopefully be working in IT in some way in the GIS industry, which is, is essentially IT. So understanding what all those guys are talking about in the in the development teams is is a real real benefit to you. Same same with the SQL, but that should be core in everything in all all GIS subjects. But that is the one thing SQL is the one skill that I learned at university that I've used in every single job that I've had since. So yeah, hmm. um, and 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 equally being able to understand the, uh, the the programmers when working in a development team, even if you're in user support or or marketing or any of these different departments, understanding what the programmers are talking about, where they're coming from, helps you know what the business is doing as a whole uh, and be able to do your job even better. So those are my two key things. Learn the code and, uh, and make sure you you pick a university that will take you into the Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I would advise anyone out there, frankly, in any career to learn how to code, because I think, you know, in our digital future, obviously, that's the going to be a core skill but well thank you for the discussion tom very interesting how how can people get in touch with you if you've raised some questions for them or, or they have they want to follow up what's the best way for them to reach you so yeah always happy to connect with people on linkedin so feel free to look me up and uh, request connection that's absolutely fine and i'm also on twitter as matnav underscore tom but i think hopefully the links will be in the in the show notes you're quite active on Twitter, huh? Right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's how I keep in touch with the with the community to see what people are up to. I'm very much in in favor of, of open source technologies and 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 geo solutions, and so I'm quite active in the uh, in the Ausgeo community as well. But uh, no, Twitter Twitter is my is my outlet and my uh, my main news feed for what's happening in the in the world of geo and geo academia. Very nice. Okay, well obviously we'll get those in the show notes so that everyone can can connect with you and follow you and get involved. Thank you very much Tom. Very very interesting discussion and uh, I hope it was helpful for anyone out there, you know, contemplating contemplating uh, getting into geospatial education and and just or just better trying to understand the the current system. Thanks again. Thank you Bye. for having me. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.